Um, morning to you and welcome to you. Uh, and if you're on the, listening to this on the podcast, welcome to you as well. If you don't know me, my name is Graham. Uh, and if you do know me, my name is Graham. So uh, we're, uh, it's great to be with you. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at the fourth in our series of um, Summer Barbecue, Big Bold Questions. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the topic of what happens when I die uh, and the topic of eternity. Uh, when I told Joseph, Aaron had asked me to talk about that, about eternity, he said, oh, we'll never hear the end of that. <laughs> so, but we do have, <laughs> it gets better, it does get better. Um, we, we have 30 minutes uh, to, to talk about eternity, so, uh, so we'll need to, get, uh, need to get cracking. Shall we pray as we start? Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to reflect on the great promises that you hold out to us regarding the future. Um, and Lord, uh, whether we've been a Christian for a long time, whether we've been a Christian for a short time, or whether we're still thinking about whether we want to become a Christian, your word has something to say to us this morning. Your word is living and it is active, and we pray that it will be living and active here this morning in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I love the story of, uh, I'm sure it's not true, but I love the story of Albert Einstein, uh, who was traveling by train one day. And the guard was coming down the, the carriageway, the, the aisle, and he saw this man scrabbling around underneath the table uh, on, on, on his seat. Uh, and uh, and uh, so he said, are you all right, sir? And uh, Einstein looked up and said, I can't find my ticket, young man. And the, the guard recognized him and said, well, don't worry, I know who you are. I know you're trustworthy. You're a very famous person. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Please do take your seat back again. And uh, Einstein carried on on the floor and looked up and said, young man, I know that I bought a ticket. The problem is I can't remember where I'm going. (laughs) We need a sense of direction, don't we? We need a sense of where we're going so that we end up in the right place. I read recently about a man, an Italian man, who... Um, wanted to go to a, a mass with the Pope uh, in Rome. And so he got in his car. He was 81 years old, Italian. He got in his car. He typed in the direction in the satnav, nav uh, But unfortunately, he missed out a letter. And instead of typing Rome, he typed Rom, which is a German town in North Germany. And he ended up hundreds of miles out of where he wanted to be. We want to know where we're going. We want to end up in the right place. Krish Kandaya, in his book on um, Faithism, talks about a paradox that we have in our world, in that we're very happy, or a number of people are very happy, to dress their children up as ghouls and ghosts at Halloween. They'll go on ghost trains in fairgrounds. We'll watch films, uh, public information films, about what happens to us if we don't brush our teeth or if we don't cycle uh, sensibly without a helmet, the consequences of that. We don't seem to have a problem with thinking about our mortality in that sense. But yes, we're less willing to face our own mortality with anti-aging products and midlife crises and so on. He talks about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, who said this. He was an atheist and he said this. You're born alone, you're going to die alone. And does anything else really matter? What is it exactly that you have to lose? There is nothing. Not one for the fridge, maybe. (laughs) But when... But when Steve Jobs, this this great entrepreneur, when he was diagnosed with cancer, when his mortality crashed into his life through that diagnosis, he told his biographer this, I want to believe in an afterlife, that when you die, it doesn't all just disappear. So when mortality does face us, when we are faced with that issue, 
it's not surprising that our minds turn to the question of what happens next. So in the few minutes we have this morning, let's have a look at unpacking that question. If you have a Bible with you and you'd like to turn to John chapter 3, we're only going to rest in a couple of verses this morning, but John chapter 3 tells the story of a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, that means he was a teacher of the law. He knew everything there was to know about rules. He would know how to behave in order to earn God's favour. But there was something about Jesus that attracted him to him. And he wanted to discuss this with Jesus. So he came to him at night so that he wouldn't be spotted by the other Pharisees. And he started this conversation with Jesus. And in verse 3, Jesus, the first thing Jesus says to him is, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, this well this 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 teacher of the law, Jesus says to him, It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you know. There is only one way of seeing the kingdom of God, and it involves a new life. It involves being born again. And as we start this morning, we need to be clear that Jesus does not talk about going up to heaven. That's something that we think of when we talk about heaven. We tend to think about going up to heaven. I don't know if you've got the next slide there. That's the kind of image that we sometimes have of heaven. We sometimes got to earn our way to heaven, that it's up. It's up there. It's some kind of escape from this world. But Jesus doesn't talk about that. He talks about entering the kingdom of heaven or seeing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The terms kingdom of heaven is a realm, it's a kingdom, it's a place where God is in charge. And the quality of life in that place is all geared towards human flourishing. So when we're thinking about eternity, we're trying to think about a place and a state where the quality of life is geared towards human flourishing. And verses 16 and 17 then in John chapter 3 say this, Some versions have it attributed to Jesus. Some versions, some translation have John writing it. But this is what it says. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Fantastic well-known verses and they point us to three things that I'd like us to look at this morning in regard to that question of eternity and what happens when I die. The first one is the reality of judgment. These verses and the subsequent verses do talk about judgment so we will need to grapple with that for a little while. They talk about the hope that is offered in Jesus and they talk about an invitation to a new quality of a life. So let's have a look at, first of all, the reality of judgment. It's a bit like the elephant in the room. I came across this cartoon the other day. I quite like this one. The elephant in the room. Sorry, if you're on the podcast, you can't see that. Um, But the elephant in the room is we we find uncomfortable talking to people about the fact that there will be a judgment on their lives. But it's important. It's important, first of all, because the Bible tells us all the way through that God is a fair and just judge. We can't get away from the fact that that is one of the characteristics of God. If we think about Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 onwards, we find um, God having to make a judgment, having to make a, a discipline on Adam and Eve because of the disobedience that they have shown. In Deuteronomy 11, we find this, uh, one of these examples where God is making his agreement with his people, with his covenant with his people, and he's saying, if you do these things uh, and keep my commands, these things will go well for you. If you don't obey me and you turn away from me, things will not go so well. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, God rebukes David, King David, for an adulterous affair. 
uh, using the prophet Nathan. Uh, the prophets themselves, as towards the end of the Old Testament, constantly announcing God's forthcoming judgment and the consequences of turning away. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, we see a judgment on Ananias and Sapphira for their deception in their giving. And of course, in Revelation, we find the ultimate final judgment. Uh, and we need to be careful at this point, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea of what I'm saying this morning. We're not saying at all that if you get ill or if something bad happens, that's the judgment of God upon you. That's a very dangerous road to go down. But it's exactly like uh, Josh was saying a minute ago, that sense we just know things are not right. You know, there are things that are not right. And one day, God will judge and will put everything right. And these examples in the Bible are examples of that. They are not a blueprint to say that everything that goes wrong is a judgment from God. But secondly, it's important because it chimes with who we are and what makes us human. Uh, I don't know if you've been near or around children over, over the holidays, um, but you may have heard the phrase, it's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. We hear that from time to time. Is there anybody here who maybe who's driving down the motorway, the steady 70, uh, and somebody goes past you at 150 miles an hour? And there's something in you, isn't there, that wishes there's a police car just around the corner. Because that would be... Nobody else? Yeah, 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 there's nobody else. Uh, You're the 70s people, aren't you? Just checking. (laughs) The 70 miles an hour people. Um, Or you're you're watching a a football match or a tennis match or a a netball match or a cricket match or something like that. And the umpire and the referee makes a decision that you don't agree with. And depending on how invested you are in the game, you might get quite an explosive reaction to how unfair you think that decision is. Can anyone identify with that? Can anyone identify with John McEnroe in 1981? Finish the phrase, you cannot. That's right. And sometimes when we look at the world, we want to raise our hands to God and say the same thing. As Sarah was talking about last week, there are things that are not right in our world. There is suffering, there's exploitation, there's pain, there's disease, there's death. And we want to join with the psalmist in Psalm 7, verse 6, and say, Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, O my God, and bring justice. We want to say to God, you cannot be serious. This cannot be the right, these things that are going on. And as Sarah said, we do not worship a God who stands by and does nothing. Or a God who turns his back and lets us get on with it with no consequence. We worship a God who is a judge and who does promise that one day he will put everything right. He will put everything right. There will be a judgment on all those individuals and all those corporations and all those situations that bring pain, death, suffering, exploitation. That will happen. There is a problem with that, however. That sounds, it is great. There's a problem with that. We also have to recognize that if God is the judge, then the standard we have to meet is perfection. He cannot, as a holy and just God, he cannot have any other standard but complete and utter perfection. And Romans 3 verse 23 says this, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There is nobody in this room. There is nobody in this town and city. There's nobody in this country. There's nobody in this world who can stand before a holy, just God and say, I've got it sorted. It's okay. When that judgment comes, you can declare me innocent based on the life that I've lived and the thoughts that I've thought and the things that I've done. Everyone has sinned. I don't know if we've got the next picture. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the target. And again, it's tricky because we can come over as Christians. We can come over as judgmental. 
uh, we can come over as very polarized when we talk about these things. People get this impression that we're talking about an up and a down destination. Um, I was uh, uh, traveling by train a few weeks ago and I saw this um, picture, well, I took this picture of the stairs uh, going up to the train station. It kind of fits me. Sometimes we just think in terms of destinations, right? You're either on the way up to heaven or you're on the way down to hell and that's it. Stand on the right side. And sometimes that we can give the wrong impression about that. But for the moment, we'll look at that a little bit later on. But for now, we recognize that there is a reality of judgment, that one day, each one of us will be judged on our lives. And we have to stand before God and say, guilty. Can you turn to the person next to you and just say, I hope this gets cheerier soon. <laughs> it's a great bank holiday, rousing the troops kind of message, isn't it? <laughs> But there is good news. Say, hooray! <laughs> there is good news because this passage also talks about the hope that is offered in Jesus. The good news is that we do not have to play guessing games with God. We do not have to go around thinking, well, if I do this, if I do that, if I do the other, that should be enough to get me into this place called heaven. I should be okay if I just do this, if I live a good life, if I don't swear, if I give to the church. Whatever it happens to be, we think we can earn it. The good news is, first of all, we can't do that. We know that. But the second part of the good news is that verse 17 tells us that Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Not to judge, but to save. And the fantastic, exciting thing is that at God's initiative, motivated by love, God sent Jesus into this world so that we might know the outcome of that judgment already. We don't have to play guessing games. We don't have to have a crystal ball. We don't have to look into some mythical future in the distance and say, I wonder what the verdict will be. We can know what the verdict will be here and now. And in verse 14 in John chapter 3, it refers to this strange little incident back in the Old Testament in Numbers uh, where the people of God have been rescued from slavery. Moses has led them out of Egypt and they've, uh, they've been wandering around. They've made mistakes. They've been wandering around um, uh, not getting to the land that they've been promised, and they're grumbling about their situations. Did you know God doesn't like grumbling? Uh, and in this particular case, he was so fed up with the grumbling that he sent poisonous snakes to, to kill and to, to harm the people who were grumbling. And so people were dying, and then God tells Moses to make an image of a, of a poisonous snake. So the image of the snakes, the image of the things that were killing the people, he said, hold this up, and those who look at it will be healed. You'll find that story in Numbers chapter 21. So by looking on the thing that is killing you, you will be healed. And John's referring to this in this, in this John chapter 3. And he's saying, as we look at Jesus and what will come with the life and death of Jesus, as we look at Jesus, as Jesus is lifted up on a cross to die, as you look upon that, that is the place of salvation. That is the place where you can know the outcome of the judgment against you. I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm explaining that clearly. By dying on a cross, it's the visible way that God is dealing with the behaviors and the attitudes that will bring about a guilty judgment in the future. In the agony of the cross, in the pain and the destruction of the cross, Jesus, a bit like a magnet, is attracting and carrying with him all of the idolatry, all of the sin, all of the death, all of the problems, not just from the past, not just in the present, but in the future as well. Every single bit of darkness was attracted to him and rested upon him. And the simple fact is, if I look at that, 
And I agree and accept that that's what's happened. And I believe that is what's happened. I know that the judgment in the future will be innocent. It will be not guilty. It will be righteous. That is what I know for certain. And there'll be many in this room and listening to this podcast who will know that and have known that for years. There may be some today for whom that's news. And if it is, it's good news. It's great news. But sometimes in our world, hope can be a flimsy word. We say things like, I hope it won't rain tomorrow. I hope England will bat out the day today. (laughs) 50-50, isn't it? And when we talk about hope in Christian sense, it's not that. So I want to try a quick experiment. Is that okay? Over here, I have a box with a question mark on it. I'm going to describe what's in this box as best I can, but you can't see what's in it. In this box, there is something from my garden. Uh, It's from near the pond, uh, from a flower bed. It is roughly um, roundish, oval shape. Um, It's very, very hard. It's grey and mottled in colour. And that is what's in this box here. Over here is another box, another question mark on it. In this box is something I got from a shop, a supermarket, which will not be named. It is uh, a cylindrical thing, uh, standing upright, about that sort of height. It is bright red. And around the edge, there are pictures of other little things. In the cylinder, in the hollow cylinder, it is filled with other shapes that are roughly rectangular and wrapped in shiny paper. Okay? Could you turn to the person next to you? Just have a quick conversation. What do you think is in box number one? What do you think is in box number two? (laughs) Okay. Okay, well, now the moment of truth. Is there anyone who'd like to come up and claim one of the boxes? Oh, oh, look at that. Come on up. Come on up. Now, you can only have what is in one of the boxes. You can't have both. Okay? So would you like box number one or would you like box number two? Two. Two. Okay, so before we open it, do you want to change your mind? No. No. Okay, what do you think is in the box? Celebrations. Celebration. That's pretty specific. Why, why do you think that? It's red, it's round, it's got things right. Right, okay, are you, how confident? On a scale of one to ten, how confident would you be? One is not sure, ten is pretty confident. Ten? ten? <laughs> right, okay. Right, well, here we go then. Would you like to take out what is in the box? Dum, dum, drum roll. Oh! Thank you, well done. Have a seat. Um, for the benefit of the podcast, um, it was a box of... Celebrations, you're absolutely right. 10 out of 10 confidence on that. And what was that based on? It was based on my description. It was based on whether I could describe what was in this box. You couldn't see it, you didn't know it, but it was based on my confidence. It was also on your confidence on my description. It was also based on my trustworthiness. (laughs) Because I could have been completely lying. (laughs) What's in that box over there? A stone, that's right. Okay, Uh, there you go. You could have had that. You could have had that. (laughs) Hope in the Bible is not a flimsy 50-50 thing. If you can accept that there is a box of celebrations based on my description and my trustworthiness, how much more when God himself declares us righteous are we going to believe him? 
and say, yeah, I know the judgment against me will be righteous. I know. I don't hope in the sense of the world. I hope in the sense of what the Bible tells me. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, faith is the confidence that we hope for, uh, the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. I'd like just to read a few a quick extract from uh, an article that Jeff Lucas uh, wrote uh, a number of years ago um, called Heavenly Hope. He describes a wonderful Christian gathering, the most wonderful Christian gathering of his life up to that point. There were only 15 or so people there, yet the worship was breathtaking, the preaching nothing short of epic, the prayers electrifying. Jesus was there, surely smiling. Tonight was Hope's baptism. Hope is 11 and she's suffering from leukemia. Save a miracle, there are just a few days left. So tonight we gathered, parents, grandparents, siblings and friends, to enable Hope to declare her faith through baptism. The sermon lasts for three minutes, perhaps more should. The mother tells us Hope believes in miracles, but is not afraid of death. There was no schooled bravado, no rehearsed rigid religiosity, just faith that bubbled over. And then there were prayers, and then there was the baptism. And then he says this, As we stepped out into the crisp Colorado chill, I remembered that Christianity is about forever. Our message is that whatever hellish bullets life throws at us, there is a God who is as tough at times to understand but utterly reliable to trust. Death, hell, pain, tears, in the end, he's beaten the lot, and we should remember that daily. And he says this, Thank you, Hope. At just 11, you have fully lived up to your name, beautiful little lady. Tonight with you, we shared faith, worship, joy, and grace. Perhaps heaven is going to be like this. Our hope is not flimsy. It is rock solid on the judgment that God has declared when we look at Jesus dying on the cross and taking all of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's better. (laughs) 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 And that's good news. And that is good news. But let me tell you, there is even better news. There is even better news because not only does this passage give us a judge of the reality of judgment, not only does it give us hope, it gives us an invitation to life. And when I was preparing this talk, one of the things I thought about was whether to rephrase the title as instead of what happens when I die, but as an invitation to life. How do I want to live? John makes it clear there are two options of life. There's the perishing life, there's the lost life, or there's the eternal life. Verses 18 to 21 talk about the polarities of living in the light or living in the darkness. And there are lots of different, well, there are a number of different understandings of hell. Um, and just as we're not sure about that, sometimes we're not so sure about what heaven will look like either. But in terms of hell, in terms of being lost, however it's understood, it will be something that means we are less than what God intends for us. It will not be the best. And it is not somewhere that I intend to be. When Jesus talks to earnest seekers, he doesn't try to scare people into the kingdom. He invites them to fullness and life. And I wonder if you would just join with me a little bit of liturgy, if that's okay. I'm going to read some verses, some other verses from John. And could you shout out or say quietly or say them in your heart if you'd prefer not to shout out? That's absolutely fine. Could you say the words in bold and capital letters? Jesus said, I am the bread of... Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. 
I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will even after dying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's good news. Jesus invites us to fullness. He invites us to life. Even better news than Jesus being lifted up on a cross and taking the sin of the world upon himself is that three days later, he came back to life. He did not stay dead. Death did not defeat him. Sin did not defeat him. He came back to life. And I just want to spend a moment just thinking about what that might mean for the people alive at the time, uh, in Jesus' time. And I've spoken a little bit about this before, so forgive me if you've heard this before. Before I do, I'd like us just to watch a quick one-minute advert. I saw this in a cinema the other day, and it made me think of this talk. Uh, So forgive me, um, I'm not advertising this particular company. Uh, Other breakdown companies are available. Uh, But if we could just watch this, and particularly focus in on the, the tagline at the end. Sounds like me first thing in the morning. Everybody chill! Panicking ain't gonna get us anywhere! We're all gonna die! Commencing standard emergency breakdown procedure. Here we go. Option one. Yes, one. One! Permission to strap myself to the roof and get struck by lightning. With any luck, my exploding head will act as a distress flare to any passing ships. Guys, relax. I'm with the AA. You just tap the app and help's on the way. You can even track the mechanic right to your side. No one's going to turn up three million years into deep space. One! Hi, guys. Uno! Let's see what the problem is. Okay, try that. Is there anything else? Yeah, can you fix him? I can fix him. I love that line, the future today, because that is what Jesus uh, came to bring. He came to bring the future into the present came to bring the future judgment into the present so we might know what it is. He brings to bring the life of the age to come into the present. And the people at the time would have thought of the present age as a time of suffering, the time of darkness, the time where everything was wrong. If you have a look at the next slide. Um, everything was wrong. Uh, and and uh, there would be this point in the future where God would bring, uh, where God would sort everything out and make things right. And through Jesus, God is saying, I'm going to bring the age to come, if you have the next slide, into the present age. I'm going to bring the quality of the life of the age to come into the present. And so we have this dual time at the moment where we can live in the life of the age to come. And when John, when John talks about eternal life, the, the, way, the words eternal life can be translated as the life of the age to come. It means we can have the quality, not just the length of life for eternity, he's talking about its quality. We can have the quality of the eternal life, the quality of the age to come when everything gets put right. We can have that in the present through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Time is going. I'm going to just shorten a little bit what I want to say. So I want the time to pray and to uh, reflect. But let me just say this. The invitation that Jesus offers is an invitation to a life of the age to come now. We know that we're still in an in-between time. 
We know that part of the eternal life, the life of the age to come, is joining in with God with the work of resurrection and transformation in the present age where we still have suffering, we still have problems. God's working to sort that out. So when we do something creative, compassionate, caring, or considerate, we're living the life of the age to come. When we sense the presence of God, that joyous spirit that lifts us and makes us aware of his presence, that's living in the age to come. When we see a beautiful sunset or we marvel at the mountains, the rivers, the coasts, we give praise to our creator God, we're living the life of the age to come. When we campaign for justice, when we lift up the vulnerable, when we change our lifestyles so that they are more environmentally friendly, we're living the life of the age to come. When we laugh at genuine life-affirming humour, we are living the life of the age to come. The question then is this, how do I want to live? Do I want to live a life that's described in these passages as in darkness, without God becoming less and less the person that I'm intended to be until ultimately God has no option but to allow me to be a shadow of what a real human being is supposed to be in whatever form that might take? Or do I want to live the life of the age to come? Do I want to live the life of the age to come now, knowing that the judgment on me will be innocent, will be righteous, and knowing that I can co-rule, that I can join in with God in his work in bringing that new age, uh, the age to come, into the present age, started through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'd like to read some words of a song, and then I'll play the song to you. Um, uh, it's a song that, when I first heard it a few weeks ago, I thought it was an old hymn with new music, but it turns out it is a modern song. And as I read these words, this is the third verse, I'll just read them to you. As a response, all I'd ask you to do is just consider these words. You may want to physically nod if you agree with them. You may not want to do that. You may want to be thinking, do I agree with these words? If so, yes, this is great confidence. If not, it may be that you would like to ask some questions about it. That's fine. But this is the third verse of this song. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. The chains are released. I can sing. I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's just listen to this song. There you are. Don't worry. It's okay. Shall we read the words together? And then... Josh will hold back to you and the band will come back and we'll sing one final song. So should we go back to No Fate I Dread? If you're happy to, and please don't feel any under compulsion to do this, and it may be you read this for the first time with a real belief in your heart. Or if it's something you're really confident with, let's declare it together. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever 
is my plea. To the chains are released. I can sing, I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And if you want to look up that song, the song is called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Josh. <laughs>